Well, amen. Thank you, preacher. Let's meet together in the book of Lamentations this morning, if we can. Let me tell you a little bit about the genesis of <clears throat> this book. It was uh, February the 6th, 2018. It was a Tuesday night. Uh, it was about 7 o'clock, and uh, my wife and I were at home, and uh, we received a call from uh, our daughter-in-law, and uh, through her tears, uh, she uh, just spoke three words that uh, literally changed our lives forever. Those words were, TJ is dead. Uh, TJ was our oldest son. He was 35 years old, uh, married, uh, had three precious daughters, uh, was killed in just a really freak accident while he was working on his pickup in the driveway. And um, over the course of of the year, year and a half following that, God began to uh, birth this thought in, in my heart on how to get through what you'll never get over. And through that, God continued to work and it finally allowed me to put it uh, into a, a, a two-part sermon that uh, I preached literally all over the country. We've done several walking through grief Sundays, and um, one, I appreciate what the preacher said about, about the book. You know, sometimes when we encounter somebody who's going through a loss, um, we just don't know what to say, and, and sometimes in that, that, those brief seconds of awkwardness, we say some of the silliest things. I mean, some of the, 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 the most crazy things like, well, God just needed another angel in his choir or God just needed another flower in his garden. It's like, <laughs> like, no, 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 no. But we don't know what to say, so we say something. And what a lot of people have found is that this book has given them the opportunity to say this. You know, I don't know what you're going through. I've never gone through what you're going through. But we had a man in our church, him and his wife, uh, they have been through that, and God allowed them to put some of the lessons they've learned and some things that have helped them in, in this little book. And I just want to give you this book, and I want you to know I'll be praying for you as you read this, and, and I hope it will be a help to you. And that is so much better than saying, well, God needed them more than you needed them. Are you serious? Come on, as my son, as our firstborn, God didn't need him. I'm going to get off on a tangent here. I'll stop. God doesn't need anything. Come on, he doesn't need anything. Uh, just recently, I was in a church, and um, I, I'm sure he was well-meaning, but he came up to me after the, we did a Walking Through Grief Sunday, came up to me after the morning service and said, well, I'm just going to one-up you on your grief. It's like, serious, dude? I didn't know we were in a competition. Like, where did that come from? And, and I know people mean well, uh, but if this can be a help to you, I, I hope you'll, you'll pick one up. There's just $5, and, and uh, I hope there'll be a, a blessing to you. Well, it is a joy uh, to be back at Bible Baptist Church. We did make our way down to the, the old building yesterday and, and uh, just talked about some things down there. And, you know, I hadn't seen this building except for on Facebook and Twitter and your Pastor would post pictures and different things, and and I'll tell you the difference between uh, you know seeing it in person 
Uh, compared to seeing it online, I told the folks in the first service, it's kind of like kissing a picture of your wife. You know, it just ain't the same. And uh, you can see a picture of this and then get in here, and it's just not the same. And I know it may not be the most convenient thing for you right now, but just hang on. Uh, I don't believe this is it. Now, I'm not your pastor, but I, I just can't help but think that God's got something else in store. This is just kind of an intermediate place for you, and God's going to do some some incredible things. Let me encourage you, um, first of all, uh, to be back tonight, uh, not to hear me speak, but to honor your pastor and his wife and their family. Seven years, has God not done some incredible things here in seven years? I mean, come on, it, God has used them in, in incredible ways, and so I hope you'll be back tonight to, to help them celebrate uh, that occasion, and then I really hope that you will do what you, you have to do, whether you have to cancel some meetings or miss some practices or rearrange your schedule, do whatever you have to do to be here Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night. Um, you, if you've, if you've not heard these men preach, Brother Kurt Skelly, Brother Jonathan McNeese, I promise you, you will be blessed. You will not, I, I, listen, if you come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you walk out of here, you think, man, I wish I wouldn't have come. I will refund the admission cost, okay? Uh, you just email me, and I'll refund the cost of the ticket that you had to pay to get in. I promise you, those men will be a blessing. And they're two totally different kinds of preachers, uh, but they preach the same book. And uh, they will be a blessing to your heart. The book of Lamentations, as the name suggests, uh, records the lament of the prophet Jeremiah. And we think that it was during or uh, at least soon after the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in, in somewhere around 586 B.C. For 40 years, Jeremiah had prophesied of coming judgment. For 40 years, he had preached a message of repentance to the people of God and warned them that, that if they didn't come back to the Lord, that there would be dire consequences. And he was scorned by the people as a, a doomsday preacher. Let's begin reading in verse 40, and, and then we'll get into the message. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 40, it says, Let us search and try our ways. And turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. We have transgressed and have rebelled. Thou hast not pardoned. If you're in a habit of writing or marking in your Bible, I'd encourage you to go back up to verse 40 and right out beside that verse where it says, and turn again to the Lord, just write one word, write the word revival. We'll talk uh, about this in more detail in a moment or two, 
But really, that pretty much sums up what revival is all about. It's about turning again to the Lord. The implication here is that there had been a time in the the life of the nation of Israel when their relationship and their fellowship with the Lord had, had been better than it presently was. And the call was for them to make some things right. I'm going to venture to guess, not because I know anything about any of your lives. Uh, This guess is is based solely upon 40 plus years of ministry experience. But my guess is this, that there is at least one person here this morning that at one time in your life was closer to the Lord than you are now. At some point in in your walk with the Lord, your fellowship has been sweeter. His presence has seemed to be more evident. And for some reason, it's just not that way now. It's not that you've totally turned away from God, but but there's just something missing in, in your walk with the Lord. And if that's the case this morning, then my friend, you need a revival. I've often used this definition of revival. It is the moving of God's Spirit through the power of His Word to the hearts of His people that resurrects to new life those areas that have been lying stagnant, dormant, or out of balance and results in new love and obedience to Jesus Christ. Now let's let's break that down real quick. Revival is the moving of God's Spirit. It's it's not the cheerleading of some pastor. It's it's not the, the charisma of some man of God. Revival is a move of the Spirit of God. The old songwriter uh, certainly had it right when he penned the words, All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Listen, revival is not just about being stirred. Revival is about being changed. It is the moving of God's Spirit through the power of His Word. Not Pastor Cox's word, or Bill Prater's word, or the words of of, of Kurt Skelly or Jonathan McNeese. No, it's God's word that changes lives. So it's the moving of God's spirit through the power of his word to the hearts of his people. No doubt you've heard said before that at the heart of every problem, is a problem of the heart. And if that's the case, then it only makes sense that at the heart of every revival is a revival of the heart. And who among us, myself included, is not in need of an occasional time of reviving? 
I'm talking about a resurrection or a bringing to life, if you will, things that, that have been lying stagnant or dormant. We're talking about areas of, of our lives uh, that have, have been asleep. They've just been inactive, sluggish, dull. Where are those areas in your life right now? Could it be in the area of prayer? I visited with uh, uh, one lady this morning out in the foyer after the first service who said, man, I needed that message. I was just talking to him and talking about the gentleman that was with her. She said, I was just telling him that my prayer life just isn't what it used to be. Well, when, when we're willing to admit that, that's awesome. That means we need revival. And that's what we're talking about this morning. I'm not, I'm not here to, 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 to say that everyone in here is an evil, wicked, mean, bad, and nasty sinner. Now, we are all sinners, but I'm just talking about the fact sometimes even the, even the most faithful church member can, can, get, can get sluggish and, 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 and just no energy in their prayer life. You with me? Maybe it's in the area of reading your Bible. Maybe you're just doing a cursory glance at the Bible, just checking off a box. Maybe it's in the area of ministry. Well, you're still doing your ministry, but if you're honest this morning, you're not doing it with life. You're not doing it with energy. You're not doing it with fervency. You're just singing to sing. You're just greeting to greet. You're just teaching to teach. You're just parking cars because that's what you're supposed to do. There's no life there, no energy there, no zeal there, no real desire to bring honor to God. Maybe it's in the area of soul winning. Maybe it's in the area of giving. How about this this morning? How about your response to the preaching? When's the last time that you have been genuinely convicted and you've made a change in your life because of it. And then let me ask you before we get into the bulk of the message, what have you allowed to get out of balance? Come on now, we live in a busy world. We're all busy. I mean, we've all got things to do. And it's real easy Especially right now, school's getting out, summer's coming on. Now this morning I got in a, I got back in pastor mode just a little bit. Now I'll try not to get too radical on you. But hey, summertime's not an excuse to take a break from God. Hey, listen, do you realize that, that bills still have to be paid at the church in the summertime? Let's not take a break from our giving just because it's summertime. Listen, you still got to have music. You still got to have teachers. And, and, and listen, I just know from many years of pastoring that summer can be a struggle. So, so where is it in your life where you may have to rearrange, get back to, to the right priorities? That's what we're talking about this morning. So we dig into our text, there are three things that I believe are key to experiencing a personal revival. First of all, we must personally examine our ways. Jeremiah said, let us search 
and try our hearts. The word search suggests that that something's hidden. It's there in our hearts, but it will not be revealed by just a, a shallow, superficial examination. I mean, it, it, it's like this. Pastor Steve says, Rebecca, where is whatever? She says, oh, it's in, the, it's in that drawer. So he goes in there and he opens the drawer and he looks, honey, it's not here. I know this never happens. Rebecca, it's not here. So she, the sweet person that she is, comes gently into the room. Maybe not, I don't know. Her family's reacting like that ain't true, but we'll just leave that alone. And she comes in there and she starts moving stuff and, and she digging down in there. She pulls it out. It's right here. What has she done? She's dug deeper. She's, she's been more diligent in her search. Now, us men, we went, nah, it ain't here, honey, come on. But it is, it's there. It's just under all of this stuff. And if we would have taken the time, you with me? If we would have just taken the time to dig in there and look deeper, we would have found it. And that's what I'm talking about this morning. We, we can't just... We can't just do a cursory, listen, if, if all we did this morning was just a superficial cursory examination of our lives, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that just about every single one of us would come away from that feeling pretty good about ourselves. Because honestly, on the outside, on the surface, we are good people. I mean, we're kind, we're benevolent, we pay our bills, we obey the law, we, we do all this. And, and so people would look at us and say, yeah, he's a, he's a good dude. She's a, she's a good woman. But that's not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about getting deep. I'm talking about really looking on the inside. A diligent, honest examination you see, Jeremiah said, our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I don't know about you, but, but my heart is forever telling me, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm all right. Oh, but mercy, sometimes God's word and God's spirit tell a different tale about Bill Prater than I am willing to admit. You see, they tell the truth. God's word and God's spirit tell the truth about all of us. They often tell a tale of hidden sin and hidden desires and hidden agendas and hidden addictions and hidden motives and hidden hatred and hidden envy and hidden bitterness and hidden selfishness and on and on and on the list goes. No, these things aren't on the surface. They're not things that everybody can see, but they're things that we know are in our heart. And those are the things that we need to deal with. So my question to you is over the course of the next three nights, are you willing 
to let the Spirit of God shine the light of His Word into the deepest, darkest crevices of your heart and reveal what is really there. Oh, Brother Preston, I don't know. I don't want to go there. I get it. I get it. But if we're going to have revival, that's where we've got to go. We've got to let the Spirit of God search us. And when he does bring those things to the surface, then there's a second step. We must sincerely confess our sins. So when the Spirit of God searches us and and he reveals those things to us and those things are found in us, then at that moment we have a decision to make. We can either just turn a blind eye and, 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 and ignore it all, or we can do what God wants us to do, and we can sincerely confess our sins. The emphasis being on the word sincerely. The people of Jeremiah's day were grieving. They were sad. They were heartbroken. But it was only because of the pain their sin had caused, the inconvenience that their sin had caused. They weren't really grieving over their actual sin. In verse 42, Jeremiah called the people out on two specific sins. He said, we have, number one, transgressed, and number two, we have rebelled. To transgress is to step out of bounds or to, to go beyond. It's to go beyond the boundaries that are set forth in God's word. And let's be honest this morning, there are some boundaries that God has set for Christian living. Come on now, the Christian life is not a moral free-for-all. There are some boundaries, there are some guidelines, there are some rules, whether we want to use that word or not. There are some thou shalts, and there are some thou shalt nots. And then there are some areas of our life where God uh, teaches us what is right and wrong by principle and precept and by example. That's, that's the Bible. And God has given us boundaries. And to transgress is to knowingly and willfully step out of bounds. Think, think back with me to the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. Would you agree with me this morning that God had clearly established the boundaries? God clearly, unmistakably told Adam and Eve, these are the boundaries. You can have anything in here that's in bounds, but there's one thing that is out of bounds, and it's that tree. Do not eat of that tree. He was very specific about which tree it was. 
And he said, as long as you stay in bounds, listen, this is all yours. And that's how good God is. He said, this is all yours. Enjoy it. But don't eat of that tree. And what did Adam and Eve do? They willfully and knowingly stepped out of bounds. That was their choice. That was their decision. They could have said, nope, nope, these are the boundaries, and we're staying right here. But they didn't. They transgressed. They willfully and knowingly went against the word of God. Here's the point this morning. God has clearly, clearly laid out some boundaries for the Christian life. And those boundaries are no no more wide nor narrow than the word of God. And listen, he has given us so much room to enjoy the Christian life and to be fruitful and to be blessed and to enjoy and have fun and and get in on his blessings. He's given us so much room. You know, it's like you've told your kids, you said, listen, you, you you had the whole yard to play in. Why did you have to go over there? How often does God look down at us and say, what are you doing? I have given you so much space to enjoy life and to be blessed and to be fruitful. Why? Why did you step out of bounds for crying out loud? Why do we do that? Partly, I'll just be honest with you, partly it's because the devil's a liar. No, scratch that. The devil's a stinking dirty liar. And he convinces us that we're missing out on so much. We go to work on Monday and our buddies start talking about everything that they did over the weekend. I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and the ladies in the office, oh, it, whew, it was wonderful, it was incredible. Yeah, I just can't, you, would, you wouldn't believe how wonderful it was. What did you do? I went to church, mowed the grass, took the wife shopping, went and played a little top golf, which by the way, I won one game. <laughs> Mrs. Preacher won the last time they went, just so you'll know. Preacher wouldn't tell you that if she did, right? Right, right. And the devil starts whispering in our ear. What a boring life. Are you kidding? You just hung out with the family? That's all you did? You don't have any tales to tell? You don't have any escapades to brag about? No, no. I just, 
I just tried to stay in bounds. Am I right or not? I am. And the devil tries to convince us that, that we're missing out. Listen, it's all because you're, you're just trying to live within those restrictive boundaries of the Word of God. Man, you need to get out and live a little bit. He wants you to believe that there is so much more out there if you'll just loosen up a little bit and live. Listen, broaden the boundaries. Get a life. I'm here to tell you, listen to me this morning. And I promise you there are people in here that can give testimony to what I'm about to say. And it's this. The only thing awaiting a Christian outside the boundaries of Scripture is heartache and heartbreak. Yeah, preach, that's good preaching for them young people. They need here. No, 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 no. That's good preaching for adults. Listen, fellas, the only thing out there, out, out of bounds, will eventually bring heartache and heartbreak. Ladies, the only thing out there out of bounds, all it's going to do is eventually, oh, no, it's good right now. I get that. But eventually, it's going to bring heartache and heartbreak. And it ain't worth it. Somebody help me. It ain't worth it. Not only did Jeremiah call the people out for transgressing, for, for stepping out of bounds, but he also called them out for being rebellious. Rebellious speaks of obstinate stubbornness. It's that wonderful two-year-old that looks at you. Come here. Do not touch that again. Can I get a witness right there? Obstinate stubbornness. We step out of bounds. Jeremiah admitted, listen, as a nation, we have stepped out of bounds. But not only that, God has called us to get back in bounds. And God has, has sent message after message after message. And every single time, we just turn our nose up at God and we say, nope. Nope. I'm not going to do it. We will not step back in bounds. We want what we've got, and we're just going to stay here. That's what Jeremiah was saying. For 40 years, 40 years, he called them to get back in bounds, and they said, nope, nope, we're good. I don't care what you say, Jeremiah. I don't care what God says. I'm staying right here. I'm just asking you this morning, where might that be true in your life? Where have you stepped out of bounds? Teenagers? College students? 
adults? Where have you stepped out of bounds? And despite the repeated calls of God through this man as he stands in his pulpit and preaches the word of God week after week after week and the spirit of God reaches out to you and calls you and convicts you and and, and does everything that he can to draw you back in bounds. You've refused. No, preacher, I just don't see it that way. No, no, I, I... Preacher, this is a different day. This is 2023. Times are different. Listen, it's all good. Listen, friend, if if, if God says it ain't good, it ain't good. Maybe it's an area of personal holiness. Maybe it's an area of giving. Maybe it's an area of ministry commitment. Perhaps God has called you repeatedly over and over and over again to forgive someone or to apologize to someone or to somehow make things right with someone, but you have stubbornly uh, been stubbornly obstinate in your refusal to do so. I will not. I will not apologize. I will not make things right. I will not go to him. I will not go to her. And the Spirit of God has called you over and over and over again because you know what the Bible says. But you've been stubbornly obstinate. Listen, when we choose to live out of bounds, we're choosing to remove ourselves from God's promised place of blessing and protection. God says, you stay right here, Bill, and everything's good. I got you. I got you. But if you choose to go over here and live out of bounds, listen, buddy, you're on your own. This is the place of blessing. This is the place of protection. And you know what happens when we get out of bounds over here? The same thing that that should happen when our kids get out of bounds. We chastise them. Amen. Listen, it's not beyond God. If I can use this phraseology, it's not beyond God to spank us, Christian. Don't chastise me. I tell you a story in my own life as a teenager after I got saved, I got out of bounds. And God chastised me. Big time. And I knew what it was the moment it happened. Note the beginning of verse 40 again. Let us search and try our, what's that next word? Ways. I submit to you, and, and I asked the first first. Uh, group to stay with me, and I want you to stay with me here, but I would submit to you this morning that there's a difference between acts of sin and ways of sin. We commit acts of sin every day. That is, we do something, we say something, we think something every day that takes us out of bounds, if you will. 
I'm not excusing that in any way. It's wrong. And when we do it, God convicts us, and we need to confess it, and we need to ask for forgiveness and get on with our life. But that's not always what happens. Sometimes we get out of bounds, and we refuse to listen to God, and we refuse to repent. And it's not long, and our act of sin has now become a way of sin. That's what happened to the God's people in Jeremiah's day. Their acts of sin went unconfessed and unforsaken and eventually turned into ways of sin. In other words, they just began to live that way as a way of life. That's just who they became. Hey, Brother Prater, what are you talking about? Let me just give you a couple examples. It's one thing to lust and to confess it as such and seek forgiveness. Aren't you glad we have a God who forgives? But it's another thing to lust and just let it go and lust again. And just let it go and lust again. And just let it go. until we become consumed with lust and living a lustful lifestyle. So those acts of sin become ways of sin. It's one thing to be offended by someone and become angry with them. It happens, it does. And at that point, we need to confess our sin, seek forgiveness, ask God for grace to act the right way toward that person. But instead, this is often what happens. Someone gets offended, and they become angry, and they refuse to confess it, and then that develops into a lifestyle of hatefulness and bitterness. Revival comes when we personally examine our ways and sincerely confess our sins. And finally, when we wholeheartedly turn to the Lord, let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Listen, church, revival is not coming to the altar on Sunday to repent of sin we committed on Saturday and intend to commit again on Monday. That's not revival. Revival is... I've sinned, I'm wrong, God forgive me, and I turn around and I go back to the Lord. Sincere repentance is when we come to loathe our sin as much as God does, and we willingly acknowledge it as such. And as the Thessalonians, Paul said, we do what they did. They turn from sin to God. That's revival. Now, as our musicians come, let me, let me close with this thought this morning. I think you'd agree with me that one of the bravest men in all of the Bible, there's a lot of brave men, a lot of brave women, but one of the bravest right at the top has got to be David. You remember David, the story of David? with a sling and five smooth stones. He, he stood before that nine-foot champion of the Philistines, Goliath. And though small in, in stature, he was great in faith. 
and he slew the giant that day. And that was after he had already killed a lion and a bear with just his hands. Most people would say that was probably, that defeat of Goliath was probably David's finest hour. That was probably his bravest moment. But I would respectfully argue that thought this morning. To me, David's bravest moment in his whole life was when he prayed these words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. Not in my wife, not in my kids, not in brother so-and-so, not in sister so-and-so, in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I wonder this morning how many of you would be willing to pray that prayer. Revival will not come to your heart until you are willing to be that open and that vulnerable before God. So right there where you're at this morning, I ask you to bow your heads.